Hi, everyone. It's Danielle. We're so excited for you to listen to today's episode, and it's actually our last one for the season. We're going on a quick break, but we'll be back in your feed on March 8th with all new guests and an all new theme. So stay tuned. All right. Now let's get into the episode. I'm not afraid to have tough conversations with people. And you don't need to be an extrovert to do that. You just need to be thoughtful. Tough questions don't have to be something to put someone on the spot. It could be simply just trying to understand better, being curious so that you can solve the problem. I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to 9 to 5-ish with The Skin. We've run into so many questions over the years and had so many moments where we needed advice and we got it from women who'd been there. And that's what we're bringing you with this show. Each week, we're helping you get what you want out of your career by talking to the smartest leaders we know. Because we know your work life is a lot more than nine to five. All right, let's get into it. Hi, everyone. Today, our guest is Chantel George, the founder and CEO of Sisters in Sales. Before she founded Sisters in Sales, Chantel worked in sales teams at big companies like Yelp and LinkedIn and at startups like JustWorks. But as she progressed in her career, she realized there were very few Black women in sales and that there wasn't enough education for Black and Brown women about how lucrative sales could be. So in 2017, Chantel founded Sisters in Sales, the largest professional network for Black and Brown women in tech, media, and corporate sales. Chantel, welcome to 9 to 5-ish. We're excited to have you here. Thank you. Such a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Uh, Well, we have really enjoyed meeting you, and we're excited to uh, jump into it today. We like to do a warm-up with a quick lightning round. Quick questions, quick answers. Ready? Okay. I'll do my best. (laughs) What is the first job you got paid for? Oh, wow. I was a dentist assistant. That was the first job. My dad walked me over to a dentist's office and said, hire her. That was how it went. What was the grossest thing you had to do as a dental assistant? Clean up teeth. Clean up rotten and bloody teeth. Oh my God, I'm so upset I asked this question. I take it back. I take it back. But what did you think her answer was going to be? I don't know. When you asked. I really don't know. teeth related? Okay, let's let's change the subject. You go. What's something you do before taking on a big challenge? Dance in solitude. So like I'll play a really upbeat song. And I'll dance and get some of that nervous energy and those shakes out. And then I will jump either on a phone. Because usually for me, a big challenge is like, I'm going to convince a brand to invest in Black and brown women today. So that's something that I do beforehand. What's the song? What's the go-to? There's not one song. It's like any song that's like I'm, that I'm really into right now. I love Caribbean music my parents are from the Caribbean. So I'll play Caribbean music and I'll just like pretend like I'm in a carnival or something. And then be like, okay, I'm good to go. What are you binge watching right now? This is a very like, this is a guilty pleasure. I'm very big on dry humor. So I like King of the Hill. I think it's funny. It has a lot of dry humor. It's kind of ironic. I was not expecting that. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's what I'm binging right now. I appreciate that. If you're family could describe you in one word, what would they say? Energetic. Okay. Who would play you in a movie? I want to say Viola Davis because like, I mean, what an honor. What an honor. You'd probably win an Oscar or she'd win the Oscar. She would. Yeah. She would. 
But you'd get to go. Yeah, that's true. But then also J-Hud, because she's just got an edge, but she's also kind of in between a lot of genres. She's like classy. She's got a little quirkiness. She's got this new show that I like. She's also a multi-hyphenate, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, she's like actress, singer. I feel like she could be a producer. I don't know if she is, but I feel like that should go as well. Um, So let's talk about you. When we started learning about your story, one of the things we were struck by was how young you were when you started to learn about and really absorb what it means to be an entrepreneur, thanks to your dad. Is there a lesson or a moment from when you were growing up that stuck with you and shaped your career today? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my dad was big on taking risks, taking intelligent risks, uh, to be specific. Like two things stuck with me. So because my mom died at a young age. It was the two of us kind of living life and he raised me. And we would drive around the neighborhood and would point out properties that he thought that would make sense to invest in or to buy or to flip. And so I picked up a lesson of like always thinking about a business opportunity. And there's always a business opportunity wherever you are, whatever you do, or you can turn something into one if you're creative enough. And I didn't realize how much that would help me in my in my like older life because I do the same thing now. Like when I go around the world and where I move around space, I'm always like, that's an interesting business idea. So that's one. The other thing was you have resources at your capacity to take a risk if you really believe in yourself. So at a young age, I had the opportunity to buy a co-op and I lived in that co-op for a long time. And I would complain about wanting capital to start a business. And he would say, sell your co-op do it. And that would be like the litmus test for me to be like, oh, wait, do I believe that much in myself or not? And like, you know, just kind of being thrown into a very extreme way of thinking to really help you flush out the idea so that if that if that idea is a really powerful idea, you can take that risk and feel confident to do so. I never ended up doing that, FYI, but I did love the fact that I had a parent that would believed in me so much for me to find my own way if I needed to do something like that. So much of your story I I learned was almost kind of like happenstance that it wasn't, you know, they always say make plans and God will laugh. And it's like, you had a plan to, to go to law school. That was the big plan. And then you went into sales, really different. Talk us through how did that accident happen? So I was fully prepared to do the law school thing. I went through all the classes. And in the meantime, I needed to make money so that I could support myself in the process. So I went on Craigslist and looked for a sales job that I could work in and support myself in the meantime. That sales job was Yelp. And I went to my interview. It was really scrappy. I don't know if you guys remember tech in 2013 or like the early 2010s. Everything was very scrappy. Ultimately, the Silicon Valley, all the Silicon Valley ventures were expanding into the East Coast and they brought their culture with them. So I'm walking into this commercial office, but it's the most non-corporate office I've ever been in and I was not prepared for it. But I was like, if they'll hire me, I'll go for it. Completely felt fish out of water, a bunch of tech bros in like shorts and looked like Hawaiian shirts. Like it was just... It was, it was unreal. And uh, for a New Yorker too, because, you know, when you think business as a New Yorker, you think a certain type of look and feel. 
all that to say, I got there and I started to compete and I enjoyed competing. I enjoyed being number one. I enjoyed picking up the phone and making the dials. I enjoyed having my name on the leaderboard. And it ignited a sense of competitiveness in me that I didn't know existed. And I didn't know that all that training and all of those discussions I had with my dad as a child and all of my worldview would all come into fruition at my first sales job. And I just never looked back. How did you know, like, is there a moment where you realize this is clicking? Like, this is, this is where I like found it. Like, just kind of describe that feeling. Someone told me, so like, I didn't know that I was talented at this until a manager in my first few months pulled me aside and I thought I was in trouble. And she told me, you're really good at this. I had been one of the first to ever close a deal. I was only one out of maybe three Black people in the class, in the hiring class of 100. And I just felt like that was it. They were going to tell me this wasn't working. You're not a culture fit. Sorry. But she was like, you're really, really good at this. And I was like, really? (laughs) This, I mean, if this is the this, like it just felt like, I guess it was, I just didn't think that what I was doing was a job because I'm used to communicating and convincing people to do things. I've been doing that my entire life. I was always the one in the friend group with the big idea, always the one rallying people to do something, always the one trying to come up with plans. So I didn't know that that way of thinking and leadership and that way of convincing and persuasion was a job that I could be doing. So it was that time when I was like, wait, this is this this is a big deal. The thing that I find so interesting about people who... I'll I'll use this term, which I would say kind of describes what you're saying, which is like your natural salesperson, right? Like the things you were good at, you didn't even know they were skills because it's just what you've been doing your whole life. For a lot of people, that's that's not the case. Like those are things that can be intimidating that don't necessarily come naturally. Can you talk a little bit about even if that's not who you are? meaning like you're someone that's more introverted, why those skills are just so important. I'm naturally good at sales. So I can walk in and, you know, and command the room and I can see how our solution solves the problem. But I think more importantly, I'm not afraid to have tough conversations with people. And you don't need to be an extrovert to do that. You just need to be thoughtful to do that. Like I've sold into enterprises and I've sold to startups. I've sold into industries that I didn't always understand, but that doesn't mean I can't ask really important questions for my observations. Tough questions don't have to be something to put someone on the spot. It could be simply just trying to understand better, being curious so that you can solve the problem. Being a problem solver is not, in my opinion, a personality type. It's just an ultimate sense of curiosity when you're talking to people or when you're trying to connect the dots. This season on 9 to 5-ish, we are asking each of our guests the same question. What is the single hardest thing you have had to do in your career? That's a good question. I had a tough time as a sales manager. You know, I really did. I had a tough time telling people that they couldn't cut it. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to have to tell them that they, they couldn't be employed anymore because of their performance. I wanted to see them as always like a work in progress, always with, you know, I saw them with rose colored glasses. I had a really hard time and I had some good advice about it, 
And ultimately, there were two pieces of advice that I got out of that because what ended up happening was that what became such a weak spot for me, I had to do something about it or it was going to be a perhaps career-ending weak spot. So two things. One, your team's motivation and their aspiration to work is based upon the lowest performing person. If you don't really look at that lowest performing person and make decisions on them, your team will actually drop to that person's aptitude eventually. And the second thing is you are spending time with people who may not be the right fit for this job. You're spending so much time with them that you're neglecting your A players and your A players will ultimately become frustrated. And those are the people that you need to make sure that you're turning them to A plus players. That is such good advice. Yeah, it was good advice. Well, let's use like an education example. You could be an honor roll and imagine you're an honor roll and you're doing really great and your teacher just decides to never speak to you again. You still deserve attention and time. Just because you're doing a good job doesn't mean that you don't deserve to be pushed and you don't deserve the same developmental opportunities. And so because I was spending so much of my time with the lower performing people, I didn't get a chance to do that as much. I feel like it's one of those things that in every career, it's, but especially in, in sales, you go from being a really strong individual performer and then you start managing. And this idea of managing people always comes up, but I feel like with sales, it's even more obvious at times when someone isn't performing, right? Because there is that quarterly or monthly number. Jumping into like you as the entrepreneur, when did you know that you wanted to drive for more? That switch in my mind happened because I wasn't getting what I needed from the world. I couldn't get my needs met from anywhere. So I decided to create what was missing. And then I realized that other women didn't really even know that they were looking for it, but were so happy that it existed. And that was what motivated me to keep going. More of those stories kept coming up and it was more of a validation that this is something that needs to exist in the world. As a young seller, I didn't want to buy the whole, like, these are only the spaces available for me, predominantly white spaces, predominantly spaces that are for every other profession, HR, finance, you name it, marketing. I just didn't buy that that was it. <laughs> like, this is this is not going to be the world that is for me. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know, like, I decided to build something that didn't exist. And I'm so happy that I did. My motivation to do that is not money. It was simply to find answers. What's your relationship like with the word no? I don't even know if I process it sometimes. <laughs> like, I don't even know if I'm actually, like, I think, I, I do think, I've, I mean, look, I've heard no from the brands that are like our top sponsors this, you know, list this year that told me no four years ago. So when someone tells me no, if a brand tells me no, a sponsor tells me no, I process this as wait until they see what we're about to do next. Who is the first person you told the idea uh, for SIS to? Well, I, that's a good question. You ladies have the questions today. We like hearing that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We got more. Don't worry. (laughs) Okay. I told an ex-boyfriend and he was like, "Eh." (laughs) obviously now in the future, I'm like, well, 
that's why, you know, it's an ex. But ultimately, I was so excited. I was coming home from an Uber from a networking event that was just not for me. Like it was a bunch of people doing all kinds of things. And I was like, what do you guys do? And they're like, marketing, finance, whatever, whatever. And I was like, I'm in sales. And they're like, I think I have a friend who lives in somewhere that's in sales. And I was like, okay, well, that doesn't help me tonight. But either way, you know, I got I got in the Uber, got back and I called and I was like, I got this idea about a community specifically for sales. And he was like, oh. I was like, all right. Five years later, there's 7,000 of us around the world. It's amazing, you know, when you see that like you have and are daily like making a difference in 7,000 and growing plus women that were you when you were at Yelp and, and, you know, now have climbed the ladder, so to speak, in a variety of ways. Are there any points of your day where you take the step back and you're like, huh, look what I did? (laughs) Yes. Like, but do you, I mean, I say that because it's like people ask us all the time and I'm like, honestly, I think I used to do that a lot more than I do now. It's a genuine question of like, do you make time to do that? No, I don't make time to do it. It comes to me at random times, either at night when I'm like alone or just thinking, or if I get like a ping from someone that's like, your name came up in this room. Those, Like I just, you know... Like you said, sometimes it doesn't happen a lot. It's hard because there's also some imposter syndrome that I experience because I'm one of the a few organizations that are looking to change the world in this capacity. And so it's hard to think about what I've done when I know there's so much more I have to do. And I know that there's so many amazing organizations that I look up to that I still need to grow into or grow or learn from or pay attention to. So it's hard to kind of be in that space when what when we're doing is so massive and so important and, and always requires so much fine tuning and learning. You talk about like the organization was born out of something you were trying to solve for for yourself. And then like other people, obviously, in the thousands had similar thing that they were trying to solve for. What is the next thing you want to solve for for your community and for yourself, maybe? I want to solve for mental health through the right career and the right personal life balance and energy distribution. So right now I'm very interested in socially conscious companies that are working on problems that are going to affect humankind, like climate change or the climate crisis, sustainability, for example. And I think that women of color, really women also just period, should be uh, akin and in, involved in those topics and should be looking to work with organizations that are looking to make a major difference in the world. As someone who has sold things that I'm not sure makes a difference in the world before, I don't know how that's affected me mentally. And so I want to persuade women to look at companies a little differently. and align themselves to companies that are doing real good. We're ending or about to go into our third year of like this post mid pandemic world where the way that we have worked has changed. The way that companies I think have looked at their shortcomings and flaws have changed. When you like think about what workplaces need to do to create more mission-driven and impactful cultures to speak directly to your point. And like in 
make that work matter and make that culture matter? Like, is there a consistent theme or thread that you see like some of your partners or, or companies like make mistakes on? Where some companies are missing the mark is looking at people like baseball cards, you know, only being interested in accumulating a certain number of women in their pipeline just to say that they've done it, just to hit a particular goal that they may have gotten post-George Floyd. That's the wrong way of doing it. The right way of doing it is actually building relationships that you can point to and say that you have invested your time with this woman over the course of the year You've gotten to know her. You've gotten to understand her why. You've gotten to understand what makes her tick. And when the time is right, you know to go back to her for an opportunity. And you know that from all the things that she shared about herself, she's most likely to either accept or at least to really hear you out. And that actually is a win-win for everyone. It's a win for them. It's a win for us. It's a win for everyone versus just being obsessed over saying that I've collected X amount of, of Black women in sales in my pipeline. I want to go to a listener question from Simone. Simone says, Sisters in Sales not only helps women gain employment opportunities, but it also helps with retention of them too. Can you share one of the important learnings you have around retaining Black and Brown women in the workplace? Yes, a lot of that is systemic. Thank you for the question. So retainment comes from the company's interest in retaining you with resources. And so resources for your ERG to create, to build programming, resources for your hiring managers to have unconscious bias training, resources for you to go to personal development places or or conferences, not just the summit that we do, but all the other ones that are important for your mental health, your well-being, and your personal professional development. But it starts with resources. And it's easy to actually identify a company that looks to care about this particular problem by pointing to where they are spending their money. One question I want to ask on that, especially as we go into looking at media and tech environments and probably not a fun year, any advice to managers, to executives on retention in this environment? where resources are just strapped? Transparency is still capital in a way, right? You know, taking your bandwidth away from one part of your business to sit down and pen and and write down some thoughts that you can share with the company about what's happening with your business, but why your commitment isn't changing and what you are looking to do when the resources are back. Not saying anything is probably the worst thing that you can do and act as if the problem is going to be ignored. Part of the reasons why the pledges were five years post-George Floyd or 10, 15 years is because we all understand this is not an overnight success story. And it's only been a few years since those pledges have come out. And even in those few years, that conversation has started to shrink. So it's as simple as just bringing the conversation back up again. We haven't forgotten about these atrocities. We haven't forgotten about systemic racism. We haven't forgotten about how you may feel, imposter syndrome. We are in a state of economic fluctuation, but we haven't forgotten about you. And that's just, even that acknowledgement goes a long way. Who is someone else we should have on the show? Oh, I know so many amazing, amazing women. There's this woman named Zuli, 
who is building a corporate gifting service called Village. And they're sourced from Black and Brown women that are creating their own products. And they're, she's assembling these gift boxes for these corporate executives with those products and sending them to these executives as a gifting service for a company. And I just think, like, it's incredible. I love putting money into our community. And I really love exposing people around the world to good quality products. What's it called again? Village. Village. Okay. Thank you. Love it. All right. Well, thank you. Congratulations on everything you've done. I'm excited to watch this continue to expand. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of 9 to 5-ish with The Skim. A new episode will be in your feed again next Wednesday. And if you want to keep up with us in between episodes, follow us on Instagram at Carly and Danielle. It's a really good account, I promise. <laughs>